The freight industry has a massive problem of inefficiency. It's called empty miles. 35% of trucks on the road today are driving empty and our environment is paying the price with millions of CO2 metric tons of emissions wasted every year. Be part of the solution with Convoy. Visit convoy.com sustainability. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, and this is the show at Freight Waves where we focus on all things informational and insightful in sustainability around freight and logistics. Today, I'm joined by a special cross-platform guest from Freight Waves, Matt McClellan. How are you doing? Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for sharing seats with me. We're alternating, taking interview, interviewee positions here today. Tell us a little bit about your role so that our listeners now will have an opportunity to visit your show on tv.freightwaves.com and understand you know, who you are and what you do at Covenant. Yeah, thanks. So unlike you, I do not work for Freight Waves, but I do host a show on Freight Waves like some of the other, um, other Freight Waves TV um, hosts. And um, I, have a, I have what I think is the best job at our company. I um, wake up every day, get a cup of coffee, pick up the Wall Street Journal from the driveway, usually in my boxers or my pajamas, and fire up my computer, look at freight waves. And I spend probably the first two, three hours of my day reading, researching, looking at trends in sustainability and ESG, CSR, decarbonization of freight, basically anything in technology, reading emails from sometimes from people in your organization, um, Tyler, that, hey, hey, here's a startup that you guys might be interested in. And so, yeah, I, I get to do a lot of research and spend time sort of figuring out what types of trends our company needs to be aware of, budgeting for, from a monetary perspective, um, developing more, um, uh, developing more um, of, a, of a position in, or whether or not it's something that makes sense for us and our customer base. And really, the third thing is just keeping our executives up to speed, myself included, um, with things that we need to be aware of. There's so much going on in freight right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, without about freight waves and some of the other things that we watch. It would be hard to stay on top of all of this. Absolutely. It's yeah, dynamic. So thank you for having me. I'm flattered. I'm happy to have you here. Nice vest. Hey, thank you. You know, we're kind of like matching VC partners. Here. Yeah. <laughs> now, I'm happy to have you on today because there's an area I've wanted to get into on the show for a while, and that's really do a deep dive from an asset operator standpoint on things that are pain points in the industry or maybe trends you see coming down the pipe and how you guys are prepare, preparing you know, your executives and the team on how you're going to meet those challenges. You mentioned um, something that you do, which is one of my favorite things, and it's just curating content around carbon for me, whether that's voluntary carbon markets or upstream oil and gas or how that's impacting downstream trucking and freight. Um, I think that's fascinating and it's hard to keep up with everything that's going on. So thank you for the compliment that Freight Waves is staying on top of it. I feel like I'm uh, helping contribute to that. Absolutely. So you're here. We just filmed an episode on your show, Rising Tides, and now we're flipping seats and I'm going to get to interview you and talk a little bit about the challenges that face asset carriers when you're being asked by customers, what are you doing in carbon strategy? So I have a friend who's a sustainability consultant who works with firms, helps them measure greenhouse gas inventories. They do kind of corporate toxicology reporting and everything from ESG, CSR, everything you have to deal with on a daily basis. And what he's told me recently is a lot more of his customers are getting the transportation teams involved and kind of beefing up their supplier Um, audits, surveys, trying to really hone in and see what are the challenges and opportunities in freight 
for me to start moving towards these corporate targets people are setting. So the first question for you is, what are you seeing from customers, up, down, numbers, increase year over year, and customers that care or want qualitative or quantitative information about Covenant's carbon strategy? You know, there are so many ways to answer that question. I'm not even <laughs> sure where to begin. Um, but I'm going to start with a story. About two years ago, I got a phone call from somebody in our sales organization that said, hey, I've got some questions on RFP that I have no idea how to answer. And I said, well, shoot them up to me. Let me see. Like, well, why don't you just come down to my desk? Let's talk through them. So I went down to the second floor and they were questions about what sort of initiatives did we have that were related to, there was something about autonomous driving. There was something about battery electric. There were some questions about hydrogen. There were some questions about carbon accounting. And it was the first, of course, he had no idea how to answer any of these questions. And to be honest with you, I understood everything that the customer was asking, but I just really couldn't believe that, that they, I mean, I mean, the range of questions were so broad. I felt like, you know, this was just sort of a way to whittle out, you know, some of the carriers that weren't very progressive. So I actually spent a lot of time answering every one of those. Now, unfortunately, at that time, most of the answers to those questions, about half of them were, we're not really doing anything. Others, I really did have a good response to them. But two years ago was the first time we really had um, anything come substantially, and that was an RFP. And then a month later, we got another one. And then we got another one. And then we had a customer that a requirement for bidding on their RFP, Tyler, was to participate in what's called an Ecovetus survey. And Ecovetus is a rating platform in international. I think it's based in Europe somewhere. But it's a way across vertical markets for a company to respond to a standard set of questions. And they would rank you based on your responses in four categories of how well you stack up against your competitors. And so I believe it's um, there's an environmental section. There's a diversity, equity, and inclusion section. There's a kind of a human section has to do with things like, um, do you have corporate procurement objectives? Do you have um, human rights policies and OSHA policies, things like that, safety, sort of a governance side of things. And at the moment, I forget what the fourth category is, but what it is is you have to answer all these questions and you have to support your answers with documentation of documents that exist within your company to prove that the response to your question is legit. And if they don't feel like the documentation that you've offered supports your question, they don't give you credit for it. And so we participated in that. And I'll stop here in just a second um, because I can get kind of carried away on this topic, you know, because I said there's a lot of ways to answer this question. And we did okay, better than I thought, but not as good as I wanted, but good enough to participate in the rest of that survey. And then, you know, Tyler... Now, today, almost every other RFP, there's some kind of a question. And um, those that's just on the sales side, on the RFP side. Um, um, you guys have lots of other requirements coming at you since you're a public firm, right? You've got investor oh, yeah. relations and ESG. You and I have gone back and forth on ESG, CSR, a lot of the differences between those reports, one being more qualitative, one being quantitative, one external, one external. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had this suspicion for a while that as an asset carrier in this space, when the world's telling you go to zero, carbon net zero, and everybody's driving around with the competitive environment running diesel, there's not a lot of good options. And so your opportunities to differentiate yourself, at least in the near term, are really minimal. But my, my fear has been that with all the push and the corporate pledges that the asset carriers are just going to be bombarded and bombarded with supplier audits, RFQs, 
Ecovetus, CDP, Smartway, and a hundred different customer requests all coming throughout the year, you almost have to staff up just to be able to answer the questions, even if the answer is, I don't know, or no, not yet, or we're thinking about it. Yeah, you know, there's that whole idea of carbon accounting, which is, you know, what do you do to keep track of all this? You know, if you were to ask me, Tyler, what's your carbon output by lane? I mean, I could probably back into that number. I could figure out the amount of fuel that we burned, <clears throat> assuming we were capturing it at that level, um, which I guess for the most part we do. And then you could sort of, I could go onto freight waves and find the best algorithm for me to use to come up with what the total KG output was for that particular lane. You know, it's funny, I just bought a plane ticket um, to go out west over Christmas. Cool. And when you buy a ticket on, I can only speak for Delta because that's, that's who I used. There's a carbon output for that flight based on the current capacity of that flight at the time that you book your ticket. And it actually gives you options to purchase other flights with lower carbon outputs. Of course, the prices are all over the place, and I don't know who would pay. Like, oh, I'm going to pay double the price of a ticket for a flight that has a lower carbon output. But, you know, maybe there are people that do that. But I think we're starting to see this all over. Now, your question to me was, what are shippers asking of us specifically? I can tell you this, Tyler. Our 10 largest customers by revenue... Um, as of this year. Um, obviously, for competitive reasons, I can't really go into who those are, how big they are, but our 10 largest customers, I did some research on them last month, and nine out of the 10 have not CSR, but ESG programs in place that I think half of those have net zero initiatives as a company that are anywhere from 2030 to 2050. But Every one of them have very specific ESG initiatives. And when you go through and you read their ESG document, say that one of the ways they expect to get to net zero is through what's called scope three. And for your listeners on your show, NZT, everybody probably knows what scope three is, but on the off chance that they don't, that is a company's um, carbon accounting, their carbon sort of sin acknowledgement that they have on behalf of everybody they do business with. So if we run a load for you, the, the CO2 that we put out as a result of doing business with you is part of your ownership. And so part of their goal is they have to be able to not only own that number, we have to be able to report that number, but then we have to be able to approve on that number. And so we're just starting to get some questions about what can you help us do to get to a better place. We know we can't deploy an electric truck, but what can you do to help us get to a better place. And so we are in the very early, early stages, Tyler, of having those conversations. I'll say one more thing and I'll stop. Um, a lot of my, one of the things I love about my job, Tyler, is that I can call peers that are competitors. So I'll call my buddy, you know, Craig Harper over at JB Hunt, or I'll call, you know, I mean, I've got sort of a list of, you know, kind of my favorite sort of environmental people, the different carriers. And I was like, what are, you, what are you all doing? And it's funny because even though we're competitors, some of this that we're talking about, we're all very eager to share information because, you know, it's kind of like the topic of my show, Rising Tide, right? The idea of Rising Tide floats all boats. There's a certain amount of, I guess, altruism where we all need to be helping each other get to a better place from a carbon perspective. And so sometimes we're able to share quite a bit of information about that. Definitely. And it's interesting because a lot of that... Um, cooperation is what's really needed to drive adoption and scale and ultimately Absolutely. lower cost in a lot of these examples. And that's why we see a lot of 
um, shippers. I don't know if you paid attention to COP26. If you haven't read the Net Zero Carbon newsletter, there's a lot of good feedback on that, but specifically around green freight programs and cooperative buying and all these firms coming out and making these pledges and saying, hey, by 2040, we want zero emission maritime. And what they're trying to do is signal to the industry so that their suppliers, their carriers can go to the ship builders and the fuel manufacturers and start pushing that demand upstream. And if you combine that with some regulation, which is different in different countries and subnational governments are making different pledges and commitments, you start to see the wheels of change moving. Mm-hmm. And I think like you've seen with EV passenger vehicles, <clears throat> it, before you know it, it'll happen a lot quicker than you anticipated. I saw a graph today that was uh, from Bloomberg, UK's uh, diesel passenger car fleet compared to plug-in and hybrids. And it's just a perfect inverse correlation. And it's driven by that same thing, scale economics and then governments pushing. So I find that fascinating that we're seeing that on the supplier side, cooperation specifically, because I'm starting to see it on the demand side. You know, when you think about us as a ship, as a carrier, um, some of that comes from, you know, the customer just proactively, you know, it's part of our initiatives and we want you to help us with it. Sometimes it's not quite that clean. Sometimes it's... um, we're being required, uh, you can't come into a port with a diesel-powered truck, so we got to figure out a way to get a battery electric in there. And y'all have to figure out a way to kind of help us to make us do that. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I know that in certain European cities, Scandinavian cities in particular, you know, no diesel trucks inside of city center, within five miles of city center. And, you know, so some of that is being driven, you know, starts at the federal level or whatever the government is in that area, pushed down to the customers, which is pushed down to the carrier. So, you know, regardless of the motivation, we're having to figure out how to do that. And of course, you know, we're limited to what we can go out and buy. I mean, we're not going to go out and invent carbon capture for our fleet. We're going to hope that somebody else has done that. Mm-hmm. We're not going to go out and invent hydrogen power, you know, fuel, hydrogen fuel cell, you know. So we have a big relationship where we have to lean heavily on our suppliers, which is why, you know, we're always, I'm always sort of vetting the latest and greatest of what's going on. Trade shows, specific one-on-one visits at customers, at vendor sites, that sort of thing. With 35% of trucks on the road driving empty, 87 million metric tons of carbon emissions are produced annually. Leveraging machine learning and automation, Convoy is efficiently connecting shippers with carriers while reducing carbon emissions. Learn how Convoy's technology can help your business run efficiently and build toward a no-empty-miles future at convoy.com sustainability. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. You know, it'll be interesting, and I want to do this exercise with you to be put our forward-thinking hats on, like kind of go into the future a little bit. And if either of you are still hosting this, our shows respectively in 10 years, then I don't know if we've done something right or wrong. But I will be interested to know what the supply chains look like 10 years from now, right? And I'll, I'll go first, and then maybe you respond with, what sort of carrier changes you think might happen that would get us to that environment, right? Oh, man, this, now, wait a minute. So I learned, when I developed our CSR report this year, um, our corporate social responsibility report, I had to, as a very last thing, give it to our corporate attorney, say, hey, I need you to read through this to make sure that, you know, we're a publicly traded company. 
she read through it. And, and interestingly, she only had three suggestions. One was I got our founder's wife's name spelled incorrectly. <laughs> the second was there was an issue with um, something on our diversity, equity, inclusion page that um, actually was over or underreporting something. And the third was something called a forward-looking statement, which I had never heard of before. <laughs> but basically, that's where publicly traded companies and individuals that represent those companies have to be very careful about what we say about the future because of an investor out there that might make a decision based on what I tweet or say. So I will answer your question <laughs> under the umbrella of a forward-looking statement. Anything that I say um, is my opinion about the future and what may or may not happen. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else I can say so I don't get anybody I think in that's trouble? a fair enough disclaimer. Forward-looking and, statement. And worst case, we can go edit it out. So No, no, no. You got to leave that part in. <laughs> but it is fun to talk to you about the, the emerging technologies. Right? Sure. On your show recently, we talked about a lot of the low-hanging fruit for carriers, right? Things that are um, fairly low-cost, not new engine, not new technology, something that existing fleet owners can go out and get and incrementally improve their carbon output or their fuel efficiency, right? I like thinking through, all right, 10 years from now, post-COVID, we start doing a China plus one or a near sourcing and the domestic supply chain has shifted to the state where middle mile looks different, last mile's electric. Um, you know, this futuristic type mentality of where supply chains are going, autonomous vehicles bouncing between like, you know, intermodal lanes of autonomous vehicles, things like that, inland ports, hyperloops, that kind of stuff is fun to think about. But so how many ideas do you want to hear? Well, I say all that to lay the stage and say, if I told you that the cost of carbon was going to be implemented on you as a carrier and paid, ultimately paid for by the customer, because we know that's what happens, but networks change and the carrier has to adapt, with a $100 cost of carbon, where do you think trucking fits in a world where emissions are like not only wanting to be measured, but almost kind of vilified, right? So... Freight Waves is a show about the supply chain. I obviously work for a carrier. I'm going to throw out a different answer. Let's think about it like this. Let's take, let's take the shipping of it out of the picture already. Yeah. I saw um, some friends of mine here in town own a company that makes this giant 3D printer on a 100-foot track. Um, we've all seen, they produce large-scale 3D printed objects. Um, I was over there visiting the other day. They showed me one of their competitors that 3D printed a house. Oh, cool. Imagine a day when you and I as a consumer can order a new case for our cell phones and instead of having it made in China, put on a boat, arrive at the port of Long Beach, thrown onto a truck, put into a distribution center, and then at some point in the future, put into a box, put on a truck, take into a plane, put on another truck, ending up in the town on a mail truck to my house. What if you can print this at your house? What if you could log on to the website and hit Buy it now or print it now. And I could actually have a printer in my house or maybe even a printer in my neighborhood or maybe at the local Whole Foods or something where you could actually have an object, you know, obviously not every object, but have certain types of things made on demand. Like I see that. So do I say 10 years? Okay, maybe that's 12 years out, 12 and a half, 12.4. But I mean, I, you know, I think that's the Shangri-La. That's kind of where it's going. You know, kind of like that... Uh, I'm going to date myself for Star Trek, next generation, uh, the whatever that thing is, like computer, glass of water, and it just shows up. I just want it beamed up and delivered to my house. Yeah, but I mean, I I really do think there's something to 3D printing. Um, I I think that technology is going to radically disrupt the supply chain um, already. Um, 
if you were to go on YouTube and Google, not Google, YouTube, um, Lowe's Made in Space, Lowe's and a 3D printing company partnered together where they actually put a 3D printer in space on the International Space Station. And when they needed a certain type of tool, they just printed the tool. You know, so they, you know, and they needed a certain type of a cup or a part. And as long as it fit within certain parameters, they made the parts that they needed, just like I just described, using technology that was available today. So that's my first prediction. That blows my mind. I think that's going to happen. That blows my mind. And I totally agree with you. Think about the the aftermarket spare parts, right? Supply chain that we have today. Yeah. The problem is you can't replicate that today with the technology because a lot of these designs are existing on a piece of paper in someone's warehouse and they're not digital in form and initially created in the web and shared. Imagine the day where your shipping is not the actual part itself, but it's the cost of transferring that data. And now you own the design and now you can print it. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, I, I mean, and just think of how much less the cost of that product could potentially be, you know, because you can automatically take out all the logistics charges associated mm-hmm. with it. And then maybe, maybe it's made safer. I don't know, you know, but trucking carriers, me, us, right? Your question originally. Um, you know, I see a day when maybe a certain percentage of the fleet is going to be truly decarbonized, be battery electric. Um, you know, there is, you know, I mean, the two most promising technologies and, you know, you hear it over and over again here at Freight Waves on my show, on your show, and in the print and the media that you guys um, distribute is um, hydrogen battery electric. You know, those, you know, we have CNG and LNG and those have been around for a while and those are obviously strong products and um, renewable forms of renewable energy, um, um, mostly in the private fleets, not so much in the four hire fleets. But, um, you know, we see, I don't know, I would imagine we're going to have our first battery electric truck sometime this year. Um, we can talk about this a little bit more, but those are not inexpensive. And so we have to be able to share those costs with customers because, you know, a battery electric truck is about two and a half times roughly the price of a traditional diesel truck. Um, hydrogen, you know, is, is an incredibly efficient technology, but, you know, there's a lot of cost associated with not just the generation of hydrogen in a renewable fashion, but the transportation of hydrogen to the point of consumption. So there's that. Um, I bet we're going to get our first hydrogen truck within the next two or three years, unless maybe something really interesting happens in California. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's going to be a certain part of all of our fleets that are going to be uh, replaced. Diesel product is going to be replaced with something different. Um, you know, just in terms of more efficient operation of the supply chain, um, there's a company here in town. In fact, I've had them on my show before, um, Kenco Logistics. Uh, they're a competitor of ours. They're in the warehouse management business like we are, but they have just here in Chattanooga, it'd be interesting to go and film it down there sometime, but they have a, um, a product from a company called Auto Store put into play where they were able to take a 90,000 square foot warehouse and consolidate all of the storage put away and retrieval into a space half of that size using a retrieval system where all the boxes, where all the products are stored. So imagine the bins ultimately where Mm -hmm. the product are stored for those of you that are familiar with the way warehouses work. And they're all put into a grid. So for the sake of this example, imagine um, 50 by 50 by 20 deep. And you have all these little robots constantly moving the stack to get to the bin that it needs so that it can drop it over into a picking station so that somebody can take that out and then it goes and puts that bin back and the lesser filled bins sink to the bottom of the stack, right? Where they're retrieved less often, the more frequently picked items float to the top of the stack 
And here's a way that you can more efficiently operate a warehouse, smaller square footage, smaller power consumption, uh, fewer people, smaller carbon footprint in the way that you pick, pack, and receive products. I could go on forever. There's a lot of really interesting ideas, but, you know, I don't want to dominate. I love it when you do because I learned so many things, but those type of solutions are constantly fascinating to me because they are so dependent on, you know, technologies that have kind of come before them, right? Now you're coupling and decoupling all this like ability to grab data and AI and smart learning and have those warehouses operate somewhat independently because you've got the efficiencies gained from looking at more and more data and waiting through it appropriately coupled with, you know, robotics, learning and things like that taking off. It, I enjoy these conversations and could let you geek out on them with me for hours, but... I'm really smart often young people that are coming up with these ideas. Um, and I, I just get amazed at the number of ideas that are coming out of um, the younger generation right now, just things that I never would have thought of. Because, you know, some of the most interesting things that I've thought of in terms of space saving and carbon saving are coming from people that are not even in our industry. You know, they're coming from people that were trained in other ways that just had better ideas. And, you know, uh, I'm in a kid the other day, he was an English major and didn't know anything about logistics, didn't know anything about material science, but had this idea, was able to put the right team together and, you know, has come up with an idea for a warehouse automation product that's just unbelievable. So sometimes anyway. it takes outside eyes looking in. And if anything, that gives me hope for our industry that like real disruptive change is just on the horizon because yeah. of the emergence of all this outside talent and capital that's coming into the space. It's going to be fascinating over the next few years. Yeah, when I have starry-eyed younger people, you know, it's funny. I used to be, I, I still think of my, do you still think of yourself as young? Of course. I still think of, of myself course. as, you know, like, oh, that guy's old. Like, wait a minute, I'm old. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> but, I, I, you know, I see these people that are struggling with, I don't know what to study. You know, Mr. McClellan, what would you like? You know, what, I'm going into college in my second year. I don't know what to major in. Logistics and supply chain is this fascinating field. I mean, there's so much going on. Um, there are great jobs, and by great jobs, I mean challenging, interesting, financially rewarding, you know, part of it. Um, jobs that involve travel, involve the jobs that don't involve travel. Um, the logistics sector and the manufacturing sector um, is an absolutely no-brainer um, program for, for you to explore. Totally agree. And you want to talk about job security. We've been doing this since... The dark ages, yeah. <laughs> moving goods around. Goods have always got to move. Absolutely. So let's end with this real quick because I know we're coming up on time and I always try to ask guests on this show. And I think I know your answer, but I want to hear it. You know, why does sustainability or environmental concerns, why does that matter to you personally? I know you're a bit of an outdoors guy, so maybe you can share a little bit why this is your focus now. Oh, yeah. Man, you can't ask me that with 46 seconds left on the it, clock. I'm making um, you be quick. So, you know, your point, I love the outdoors. Um, next week, I'm driving my Sprinter van out to Wyoming where I'm going to work remotely and ski and connect with a lot of people um, that I'm friends with in the industry. Uh, my good buddy, Jet McCandless from Project 44, I hope to ski a few runs with him. My buddy, Peter Rensler from Carrier Direct, I hope to stop off and see him when I pass through Boulder. But I love the outdoors. I love the environment. But you know what, Tyler? You're a parent. I've got a 16-year-old son. Uh, last summer, he and I climbed Grand Teton for the third time. I'm standing there on top of this mountain, 13,775 feet tall. And I'm looking out over, you know, they always say that it's great to hang out with your adult children. Well, hanging out with your, your kids in the outdoors when you're looking to have just finished something as epic as climbing this mountain um, that requires ropes and gears and things like that is... Um, you know, I'm looking out across that and I just am so thankful for my job and my desire 
from a sustainability perspective to be able to meet my needs today by not infringing on the ability for my son to meet his needs in the future, which is the classic definition of sustainability. Meeting your needs today without infringing on the ability for the, few, the next generation to meet theirs. And so I'm standing there on top of the mountain, looking at that, experiencing the outdoors and thinking, I've got to do whatever I can to protect moments like this for my kid, for his kid, for their kids and that sort of thing. So that Tyler Cole is how I would answer that question. That was well done. I, I agree with you. We all want to be good stewards and I'm going to be good stewards of our time and tell our listeners, thanks for listening. Thank you for coming on. I know we're going to do this again soon. So happy holidays, Merry Christmas and safe travels out West. Thanks. Thank you.